Welcome to the History Film Club. I'm Alice von Tunzelman, a historian and screenwriter. And I'm Hannah Gregg, a historian and historical consultant to film and television. The History Film Club is a podcast club for everyone who really loves history, film and television. We have a new applicant today to join the History Film Club. As you know, it's a very, very rigorous uh, selection procedure that we go through. Um, So today I'm very excited that our applicant is Grant Montgomery. Grant is an award-winning production designer with a long list of period drama credits, including Peaky Blinders, Series 1 and 2, both nominated for BAFTA Production Design Awards, The Crimson Petal and the White, the adaptation of Birdsong, and BBC dramas including Death Comes for Pemberley, Jamaica Inn, To Walk Invisible, and Gumpar, I mean really everything. His feature films include The Limehouse Golem and The Secret Garden. He loves history, he loves TV and film, he makes historical dramas that we love. So he's a very good applicant, and Grant, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's it's a real pleasure to be here. It's fantastic. Really, real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Hi, Grant. It's so great to welcome you uh, to the club. And I've been so lucky in the past to have seen you at work on various different um, productions. Um, Before we get into all the nitty gritty, could you tell us a bit about what what a production designer does um, on dramas? Um, In a way, you're creating the three-dimensional world of the the story uh, you you're you're either at any time choosing the locations or adapting those locations you're deciding whether or not to build sets uh, they can either be physical sets or digital sets you're also responsible for um, the look for the props the choice of um um, if you're dealing dealing with something that's more contemporary, car, the, the look of the cars, the choice of cars, or the the, the carriages, um, I get down to choosing the colour of the horses. I'm that bo- I'm, I'm I'm that <laughs> precise about it. I, I've even I've even had horses painted because I didn't. I, 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 they came on. I said they're the wrong colour, and I just said these have not got to be looking like that. So I yeah I. It, what colours did you paint your horses? I have this aversion to white horses, unless it's very specific, because white really can kick out, really stands out. So I had them. You're going to laugh. I shouldn't really admit this. I got them. I got them painted uh, brown. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's not going to be good for the horse's ego, is it? Really? I I remember there was this, and I because I wanted the Darcy carriage in Death Comes to Pemberley. It arrived, and it was it was a big. It was it was six horses wasn't four, it was six, because uh, it was a really, it was a big a, a moment. And they came and they had all white bits off of them. I said, you've got to get, we've got to get rid of all the white. I just don't want to see any white. You don't want to see. Yeah, so they painted them. And then uh, one, I, one turned up on another and it was white and I got them painted brown. <laughs> so what we never knew about production design is that you get to paint the horses. So. I know, that may, sound, <laughs> that may sound a bit mad, but it does. It's kind of like your eye will automatically go and they just look odd. Yeah. Uh, white horses kind of can just stand out. Depending if you've got a leader, then that's okay. I've already digressed. I know. I always think that <laughs> but... production design is like a form of alchemy. It's like magic. You know, when I've been to visit your sets, and I mean, once it was gunpowder, and it's these back streets mm. of Bradford and these disused factories, and yeah. you know, this kind of place that I've never been to before—just streets and a bit of mud—and then you walk in, and you're just totally transported into this utter, you know, different time and place. And it's just a form of magic, I think, because you know, the production design gives you a world that surrounds you on set, and I just love it. I love it every time. I come and see your stuff 
Oh, thank you. I, I think that the key thing is what you put up put your finger on is like trying to create a, th- a 360 world and whatever you can use to create that. I think often action and why people do the things they do are often f- uh, influenced by the environments that they're in. And um, I think Anthony Mann talked about that in a lot of Westerns is that um, you have this huge landscape and people do things within this landscape. And uh, often they wouldn't do they wouldn't do it unless they were in that particular landscape. So uh, if you say, for example, gunpowder, you're in the Tudor, you're in the sorry, the Stuart world of repression of the Catholics. And that's why you have this kind of terrorist cell that decide they're going to kill the king. And it's because of the the conditions and the environment that they're in. And that's that that uh, is the um, th- that's the catalyst for their actions. So, in a sense, creating the world, I think, is kind of very key. Um, uh, it, it also you're, you're 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 sending out information to the audience, even though they may not automatically catch on to it. It's it can be on uh, repeat viewing, but um, I think it's very very it's it, it's key that you're giving subtext all the time through the three-dimensional world. And that's really what I do. That's how I approach it anyway. And it's really transformed, hasn't it, production design? Because if you kind of go back and watch those sort of BBC dramas from the 70s and 80s with, you know, cardboard sets and all of that. And, you know, now (laughs) we've got this kind of real full immersion world. I mean, like Hannah, I've been on sets and it's astonishing the detail that you guys get um of you know sort of correct documents from the correct day in history on a desk that's going to be seen once and so on. I mean mm-hmm. you're better historians than us historians aren't you I couldn't possibly say no I don't think so I think I've got, I've got this I think historians the are amazing. Yes, I mean, yes, I was, yes the answer is, it, is yes is oh right no I don't think so actually no but we are I think we're much more chameleon you know I think it was William Cameron Menzies, who's a, a, a big hero of. Uh, I have a whole list of designers that I'm, I, you know, I have a heroic status in my eyes. But he said you have to be an expert in so many different things, or at least you have to kind of want to know about how an airplane flies, you know, the design of something like that, or the the knowledge of <clears throat> for um, the, how a medieval castle actually physically works. So that you, you're you're learning all the time. I think more I'm this kind of history geek student really than a historian but I, I I'm, that's a very kind thing to say because I do love history and I read a lot of history and I think <laughs> that's that's something I get a real uh, I get I really enjoy it it's a kick I mean I I mean, I'm lucky I mean when you say detail I I remember on to walk invisible the Brontes is that we even measured the right size of the flagstones in the hallway and reproduced them that's how that's how kind of like wow that's sometimes that how far I'll go with it, even you to the point the that was all the right. That. It was you built the whole house, didn't you, on top of the moors? I mean. Yeah, we did. We did that for specifically because Sally wanted Sally Wainwright, who wrote and directed it, wanted authenticity. It was key. And I remember our first visit to the BBC to talk about it, and they were saying, "Well, can you find this? Um, can you find this as a location?" And um, I, I said, "Well, the likelihood of finding a." a a Georgian parsonage that happens to sit on top of a hill that has a graveyard adjacent and then a school and a uh, church and a um, uh, set of buildings that run exactly the way it is without any trees 
um, might be a bit difficult. No big like, and look like the period. Yeah. yeah. So, so we went, we went, we, we, we got the okay to build it. And so we built, we built the hill and then we put the house on top of the hill. And the hill was on, it was on a car park about 10 minutes from Haworth. And it became a huge tourist attraction. I think that if the BBC had been actually um, charging money for it, they would have made a fortune because there was thousands turning up to have a look at our fake parsonage and hill and stuff. So <laughs> that's quite funny. And then we built the interior. And I mean, and, and uh, the Bronte, the, the, the wonderful, we had such a great relationship with the, the parsonage. And I remember um, Anne who runs it, um, who's the director there, she came up and, uh, brought people and the, even Simon Armitage turned up and that's how I got to design they asked if I could design for the, the kind of centenary of Bramwell in Bramwell's room Bramwell's room that I designed for the for the film so we ended up designing it you know and building it and putting it in Bramwell's room which was hilarious it was so great I know, it was I know how much you love the history grant when you're doing the research for your productions but the other thing you love are easter eggs um but not any old easter eggs are they can you tell us a bit about your passion for easter eggs i see them as footnotes you need to explain like, to like us what ex- they are because they're not actually easter eggs on the no set. they're not actually like, easter, no like they're not actually easter yeah there's like this, <laughs> and there's a bunny running around them yeah oh, yeah if you get a bit hungry no, like, yeah, yeah. like oh there's an easter and egg actually, there that can't left. i'm sure that's peter rabbit there no he's uh no um the, i see them as more kind of visual um footnotes and uh, because i think um that it's the detail that you put in and it also illuminates the the period uh and um the the story in a pacific way so i put a lot of visual uh, nods um and it, the way in which you, in a history book you have that, that somebody's quoted or something and there's a footnote and you go back to the, the the back of the book and you see this has been referenced to to where that information has come from. So in a sense, that's what I was doing visually. And I do that. It's not in the text. It's not in usually in the, it's not referenced to any of the, the scripts. I mean, I just do it as a it's just something I do. Uh, for example, the number one uh, Peaky Blinders show uh, Tommy's office. The design of it is based on two particular places. One, it, the it's the. Um, it's Don Colleoni's office in the ma- in the Godfather, uh, the, the actual uh, the desk. You see the, the 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 window to your the viewers left, uh, etc. And there's the desk, and so the whole geography was set up like. And then it was meshed with um, the ground plan. I know this is really obscure, of um, Eugene O'Neill's um, summer summer house uh, in Long Island. And it was this, it was it was the, the, his study, and that was also it was a cross between those two. And I was really kind of referencing the idea of uh, Americana within a British um, period drama because it was about myth and about all those kind of uh, epic families. Of I, I saw kind of Eugene O'Neill's Long Days of Journey into Night and The Godfather as being these kind of huge American family dramas. Uh, so that was what I was doing with that, and that that repeated itself all the way through Peaky Blinders. In the first two series, there was loads of references to Americana um, uh, and textures that were like from Rio Bravo, the, the jail in Rio Bravo. Howard Hawks is Rio Bravo is is basically the the premise for the the betting shop, um, and it's crossed with a kind of 
gypsy look, uh, like as if a, a gypsy caravan has been deposited in the the kind of domestic area. You know, they're like little treats, aren't they, for the viewer? Yeah, the Easter eggs are of... like these little visual treats. And if you're if you're really involved in the production or you really know your stuff, then it's almost like the kind of super geek exam. If you can spot all of the yeah, little clues like that books. you give around <laughs> the production like... set, then you get a first class, you know, result. Well, if you're the viewer. Yeah, exactly. And, you, um... I, that's exactly it. Like, for example, in the back of the shelf on uh, Captain Gray's um, office in uh, his dugout in Birdsong, there is a picture of a girl and that's Charlotte Gray. Which of course right. was the next book in the series of. Mm. The, the, we should run a competition uh, where people watch, you know, <laughs> some of your productions, yeah. and they've got to see how many they can spot. Well, <laughs> and gunpowder outside the priest's uh, kind of bolt hole, there is the the symbol of the strawberry, which is split in half, which is a Catholic secret symbol of the sign of the sign of Christ, and they often use these kind of Catholic symbols to donate donate where there were uh, priests. So that's also using that. And if you look, go in, the iconography of, of El Greco is used everywhere because that, that, there's that kind of connection with Spain, the, uh, the, uh, the Catholic um, uh, um, uh, support in Spain. But also there's this tormented, I, I think El Greco always kind of painted Christ slightly tormented. And, and he's, he's um, uh, there's a pain to it. So it was a kind of reference to the purgatory that uh, they were facing. So there was that kind of double imagery that was trying to sell, tell you information about that, that world. Uh, if you go to something like um, Secret Garden, the garden has been painted inside the house. So if you're watching it, you will be able to see the garden as it once was in its glory before it's been, been left and shut up and um, the lock, the key's been locked on it. And that was also a reference to... I love to... all of that idea that you get such a lesson from watching it. You know, whenever people say to me, why should we... How useful is drama for history? They say, well, actually, you watch these productions and you can learn all of these amazing details from the design. It's just kind of incredible, actually, the amount of information you work into that. Well, it, 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 yeah, I mean, even... I mean, everything I kind of... I try to do as much as possible to, to do that. I mean, on Sanderson, I had about 35 of them all over the place i had the coach the coach when she arrives in london has uh sanderton chawton london <laughs> so it stops off in chawton which is where jane austen <laughs> lived so it's that kind of reference uh, that was filled with it that was filled with lots of um uh, region and it's to do with the idea of um that you begin to sense there's another sense of the world there um, uh, that's beyond the, the text that underpins it. But what you're describing, Grant, I mean, it's a huge amount of work, isn't it, to do all of this? I mean, when you typically take on a project, how long do you get to put all this incredible material together? You, Everything I've had is probably, I always ask for at least 12 weeks. Some people don't want to give you 12 weeks to prep it. The, the more prep you have, the better it is. But um, essentially, it's between 12 and 8 weeks to, to produce it before we start of filming, usually. Um, some you can get longer prep if it... It's I, I know on Secret Garden we had a uh, I had a longer prep because I went round how I went round with Mark Munden the director who's fabulous who I did Crimson with and that's another thing we would I could get back to about Easter eggs um, is that um, we spent I don't know how many weeks oh we drove round the whole of the UK I think we looked at I don't know, at least fifty gardens for sure and we looked at over about two hundred on just on days just going through scouts sending photographs 
and we whittled it down to uh, eight at the end. And um, yeah, that was that was fantastic. It was great. But we that was the longest prep I had. I mean, Tolkien, I had I think twelve weeks, and we had to build the Somme, and we had built eleven <laughs> acres of the Somme. That's the second time I've done the Somme, and then the. Uh, but, I mean, <laughs> You're the only person who can say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was really interesting because the two are vastly different. Bird songs vastly different to talking, and it was, and there were, and actually, weirdly, talking had to look. We there was a very conscious decision to make it look the way it was, but the, it, it's, it's in a sense, it is a reference to Mordor, and um, mm. that was it. I mean, talking that's for talking came from a very essentially quite a. Uh, a sheltered background then you're flung into this this maelstrom which is a industrial uh, you know industrial meat grinder at the Somme which anyway you know you can you can argue the pros and cons of it but essentially it was a, a, a terrible long slog and the first time I did it with birdsong I was very I'd read this I read this piece from I think it was Martin Middlebrook I'm not don't quote me on that but it was a description of the Tyneside Irish going over the top and it was like they were covered in a white white chalk because they'd been in the trenches and they they dug down into the trenches they got covered in white dust and of course it was in July it was hot and they got up and they walked towards the the German line they were uh, and it went they went through a barrage and one of the wounded was recounting this and was saying um, they all looked like ghosts before they became ghosts because they were all covered in white chalk dust. And I thought, well, that's that's the way into making birdsong this kind of parched white landscape. And that was what was the that was the the key because we got I brought a load of I think I think we painted some and sprayed it white some of it actually I had a speed date experience with the Imperial War Museum I think I went in there for about an hour two hours and I was on a plane to put Budapest to start building it so because we had twelve weeks to do it I, I recollect that was it and we started on the set we had twelve weeks it's like two weeks to draw it all up and get it built and you're you're, you're you, you, you're, you're full steam ahead. <laughs> and do you have a sort of favourite period to work on? Is there something that really, you know, that you kind of think, oh, brilliant, this, or, or is it just absolutely anything? Pretty much anything. Uh, I love history. So I think there's things I would love to do. I'd love to do a Western. I'm always trying to make a Western. Jamaica Inn was my Western. Not that anyone watched it because they couldn't understand what was going on. Some people were saying, but it was it was it was reference to Sergio Leone's one. Well, it, there was loads of references to Once Upon a Time in the West, and that that was completely reference to that. But period just fascinates me because it's a way into looking at the past, and it's very easy to take the past from a twenty first century sensibility, and that's not often. I think yeah, it, it can be very misleading to do that because as um, as it says in the go-between the past as a foreign country, they do things differently there. So I'll leave God, that there. It's fascinating to talk to you. And, um, and I mean, we all share this love of film and history and I look forward to talking to you more when you come and visit the club. Um, <laughs> but, um, You're sure? Oh, you sure about that? Well, <laughs> Well, one thing we do ask of um of prospective and new members is to nominate something that we should add to our club library. So, a film or television production which they really, really adore. Have you got something that's really yeah, top I have. For you? Yeah, I, my top choice. Well, actually, you know, it's it's a double bill. Is that okay? Am I allowed a double bill because they oh, are connected? All right. Go on, Am then. I? Oh, Alex. <laughs> She's the just, for you. just for oh, you. Oh, <laughs> you. 
uh, well, well I, 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 hey, look, I won't get into kind of like I love your book on Cuba, but that's that, that would have to be a separate. <laughs> oh, you're trying to buy space. In that case, you can. In that case, you can have a whole shelf in the library. <laughs> I thought I'd get that in now. No, I thought it was great. I'd rather talk about that actually. But there we are. Um, I would, I would think, and that's the thing I would love to put forward is is Visconti's The Leopard. And Scorsese's mm-hmm. *The Age of Innocence*, and uh, they're interconnected because uh, you can see that. Scor- I, I know that uh, Scorsese says, you know, I think it quote him. It's it, it it's um, it's one of the films I live by. I think that's what Scor- Scorsese is actually quoted as saying. But it is a ravishing film with extraordinary sensibility to the period. It takes the period as it's in its own context and not and not fr- it. It takes no liberties with the look it is a recreation of that particular time and place and it's very specific the regimento in in sicily in the 1860-1862 and it's just fabulous and it was shot on 75 millimeter super technorama and and if you can get the the newly restored bfi copy of it it's just oh it's just gorgeous and that last ball that goes on moment yeah are you Yes, yes, yes. So it's our evening viewing at the moment in our house. I, I can't do it in a full viewing yet, but um, we haven't got enough time, but we've been watching it and it's just gorgeous. And, um, Isn't it? And, you know, partly I sort of sit there thinking, Bert Lancaster speaking Italian the whole time. <laughs> like, how is he doing that? Yeah. And I mean, then sometimes does... I think, oh, I'd love to have a glass of wine on that terrace. Wouldn't that be gorgeous? Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I, 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 I but what's really interesting is this use of colour. It's very controlled use of colour. And it, you know, ranging from kind of bleached yellows to and dark yeah. interiors of inns to those sumptuous costumes and and interiors. I mean, it had the great Piero Tosi doing the costumes. I mean, it was um, Giuseppe Rotundo's cinematography and 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 um, uh, Mario Garabellucci's the production design. Just ah, oh, you just couldn't wish for better. And you can see the, you can see its influence on Age of Innocence. Which yeah. um, had the great uh, Michael Bauhaus doing the cinematography. Uh, that is ravishing. Yeah. Uh, I just I rewatched that recently, uh, and kind of watched The Leopard and then uh, The Age of Innocence together. And I just thought, wow, there's just there's just something so precise. And when you look at Age of Innocence, uh, you've you've got all of that detail of the objects and that's part of the story because it's the way in which they live their lives you know all the meals the the cutlery it's but it's it's not done for a kind of it, it's making a point it's making a, mm-hmm. a both films are making political points um because mm-hmm. you know, Visconti was a Marxist but sort of like uh, and but the uh, they, they, they are talking about they're, they're, they're showing you that this doesn't ha- this doesn't exist anymore and it's changing well they let you linger don't they they let you linger kind of in a scene like the pacing is often different I find in those kind of amazingly beautiful classic films in that you linger there and so you become a part of you know you feel as a viewer that you're part of that scene you never feel like you're pushed quickly from from storyline to storyline or next thing to next thing you just kind yeah of I I, I... I agree. There's a kind of pacing that allows you to linger and feel that, that you are experiencing another world. And it is not, and with a kind of, not a reverence, but um, it, 
there is there's a layered meaning to the the the, the interiors. I mean, for example, and it's Daria. No, it's it's Dante Ferretti, the designer on Age of Innocence, but a great Dante Ferretti. Oh. Gorge, you know, beautiful, you know, one of, uh, he's, a, he's a bit of, you know, he's, he's a god, really. Um, the, the, all the paintings, because that's what Edith Wharton discusses in the, no, in the novel. And that's part of the meaning of it, because it's a cage for these characters. And so the objects, the the enfilada rooms, the the it's it's all part of a ritual and about cages and a, about containing people. And that's really interesting. Um, so they're not just arbitrary. It's not dressing or the design just for design's sake. And oh, it doesn't it look pretty? It's neither films are about that. They're that they're part. They're creating worlds that, should, that I, one's in transition. You know, everything is is, is uh, everything to stay as it is. Everything must change in Leopard to. Um, the Age of Innocence, it's like, for example, he gets all those wonderful books, which includes, you know, Middlemarch and all the rest of it. But they're actually about containment. You know, his library is about containment. So it's, it, 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 the, the trappings of that society stop him becoming free. The uh, archers, uh, the character of Archer. And so to me, they're wonderful films. And they they really do. They, you can rewatch those and gain so much each time you rewatch it. And that's that's a beautiful experience. Well, I think you there make you a very are. strong case to add those both to the library. Uh, make an amazing double bill, but you would need quite a long time, maybe all day, yeah. <laughs> to watch both in a yeah. double bill. Yeah, I, it may be over a kind of weekend. I, yeah, I, I'm yeah. Kind of they... kind of like, I see them as kind of bookend. I, I wish I could say, could I, could I, could I put in a, uh, a special yeah. mention, The Private Life of Sherlock Holmes oh. by Billy Wilder? Which yeah, I, of course, oh, of course. But you know, I was watching that. That was now. This is that that that, that reiterates my point of uh, detail. And you watch the opening of that title sequence by Morris Binder. The box is opened, and you see the photograph coming out. And this is something I take because I was doing, I when I was doing Limehouse Golem, we had to do all uh, photographs of scene of crimes. And I was very, and there was this room filled with I, I the only way is is. Um, glamour photos of the period shall we just say and we had to do a glamour mm -hmm. photograph uh, photo shoot uh, but we'd use wet plate photography like the, 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 like they would have done which is a totally different process it's really interesting everybody had to hold their pose longer <laughs> uh, but, but it, I really wanted all the photographs of the crime scenes and everything to be shot with not so we do photoshopping, use the wet place photography. I'm glad we did it. And I know that Juan Carlos, the director, then used a lot of that in title sequences and stuff. And we could go real, very close in. And um, it does things, the because you know, the, the, all the blood comes up through the, it, it's a different process. So the, the faces really take on a sense of that period. You could not get with any other way of doing Amazing. it. Amazing, yes. So people act, well, it's like your point about the set, isn't it? People act like they did at the time, given the environment. Yeah. And if but, you can steal yeah. all of that, you could still, you could see all of that. And, um, but it, the, the, the photograph that comes out of the box in Private Life show, I suddenly, I, I had to, I thought, oh my goodness, I've, this movie's what now, what, 45 years old or something like, 40 years old? And it was, of course, it was castigated when it came out, it was a critical uh, mauling, and, you know, it was, a, it was a, a love letter for Wilder to Vienna and his past, and it had a, it's, it's a beautiful movie, it's an absolutely, I was looking at the photograph and I thought, oh my God, 
I hadn't noticed it before, is that the photograph is like a... Holmes is standing in a very specific way, and Watson is sitting. And it's the way he's standing. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, so please, you can tell me that. But I thought, oh, my God, it's like a husband and wife photograph. <laughs> oh no, I don't think of that period. To that. Yeah. Uh, no, and if you notice the makeup on uh, Holmes on Stevenson is always paler, and he's got slightly rouged lips. Did you notice mm. that? Because uh, I've, I've, I've got the to go Blu-ray. <laughs> yeah, I got the Blu-ray, and it's just absolutely. Oh, it's it's not a cleaned-up version, by the way. The, the the Eureka version of it, sadly. But I just thought, oh my goodness. It's been there, and he's he's setting out the tone of the picture right away. If only you just look hard enough, mm. and that's what I mean about watching period. Really good is it's all there. If these great makers of of movies knew what they were doing, it's it's like watching Hitchcock and create some more archive space for our library, aren't we, Alex? <laughs> all <laughs> exactly. of our nominations yes. in. <laughs> 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 and Grant, we, we also ask all our applicants to nominate a pet hate um, in historical film and TV production, whether that is a specific production that you really didn't take to or whether it's something that's a sort of repeated mistake or something that is done in historical movies. Is there something you want to ban from the History Film Club? Actually, I was thinking about this um, and I could not come up with a, a movie or a production because I know how hard it is to make them. And everybody sets out with a, with an intention of making something really good, and through lots of circumstances or what whatever. So I I can't. And there's always something wonderful to to learn from anything. Like for example, there's a wonderful Hammer House movie uh, called uh, Pirates of Blood River or whatever, which Christopher Lee. And it's it, I mean, yeah, you could see that they shot it in the Essex or somewhere. But the thing was, <laughs> I love it still. You know, it's, it's it's great in its own right. There's there's always something to take from it. You know, from those kind of from anything that you watch, um, even if it's just a there's, there's there's a gem. There's always a there's always a, a pearl of of wonder in them. So I can't really choose anything that I really uh, film wise or television wise that I because even if I said look go back to something in the seventies, uh, maybe production values weren't as high. But you, you, that's really unfair. I find really <laughs> if you're looking through the through the lens now. Um, so I kind of I kind of I think if I was gonna is is some some slightly dodgy toga movies that always sort of like <laughs> that may be my thing <laughs> i don't think they were always that focused on getting the history right in those movies i don't, I, I, I don't think they were right there's a lot that just you just think oh my god and i like i there's there's a few that you just go oh, it just doesn't kind of work for me but that 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 the odd but then I, there's other ones that i really really love i mean i love cleopatra and Oh yeah, you, you, it's just oh, it's just fantastic, <laughs> isn't it? It's just Brilliant. amazing. And I think again, it was it was misunderstood when it first came out, and it's grown in stature as the years have gone on because it's an intimate epic, to my way of thinking. And uh, I, I just think Elizabeth Taylor just oh, she was she was extraordinary in it she was brilliant she well, was it's really, a really just good movie it's, much it's a great than, movie yeah much than people gr- remember it I really think. is fabulous mm. i love the the production design but i love the performances they're wonderful and she just dominates it 
She oh, really Grant, you're just too that. kind to say anything it, bad yeah. about anything. <laughs> well, okay, I don't. I think we're just going to have to not ban anything. No, I well, can't. I can imagine though. I can imagine though that probably what annoys Grant a little bit, but he's just too kind to say, is when a historian goes on set and starts touching everything. <laughs> it's like, like oh, I love this. Oh, I love a bit of that. Yeah, <laughs> not that, yeah. not that uh, I've no, ever I done that, of course. No, but no, you know, yeah, it's so tempting, isn't it? <laughs> there's, there's always some. Uh, no, I, even that. I think it's just. Uh, ooh, I think some, I tell you what really the, the slightly is about is the way posture. Uh, when you see posture, sometimes and sometimes the anachronisms and scripts really that mm. use language that wouldn't have always been used specifically. But then you've got to understand that maybe you've got to speak to a contemporary audience. But um, there's, certain words were not used, or and I think that's. But that's been really pernickety. And that's not that's not kind of fair, you know. I think it's 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 great, and I, you know, I I think you know, th- sort of it's it's marvelous that people love period dramas like Downton Abbey and um, uh, all the Jane Austens, uh, the the Andrew Wrights, and uh, it's just wonderful that they love like, they love that material. It's great, and um, that it and that that means that people want to see that kind of story being made. So it's, it can only be good. So, so I think all of it has a, a resonance and sort of, um, yeah, there you have right, it. I well, don't really not, have, I don't have a bug we're there, not really. Ban. We're not going to ban. I mean, I do, I'll speak from the screenwriting perspective. I do think dodgy dialogue, it does come up. And I mean, it drives me up the wall as well. But of course, it's exactly the same in production design. You never quite know when you're watching a movie where that's come from, whether it is the screenwriter that just didn't do their research or whether there have been sets of notes and someone said, no, it's yes. got to sound more modern and, you know, yes. someone's forced it in or whether an actor has improvised it on set or anything, you know, it can come from almost anywhere. And so it isn't always the writer's fault. No. Well, well, no <laughs> Getting I, my excuse no. in early. <laughs> but no, I, I think the kind of thing is that the more research you do, the more extraordinary things you find out that you can put in. Having read a lot about the, the Regency period and, um, uh, sort of the 18th century and, and uh, the, the early 19th century, i.e., sort of early up to about 1820, is how and I uh, is how quite multicultural it is. It's it's extraordinary, and we don't see enough of that. I think. I mean, and yeah, talking with really it was a cut out of piece. It was really interesting because in talking, I suggested there was. Um, because there was the um, the Indian red the Indian army was in the front. And so we did a scene. It was cut from the film. Uh, it's in the it's in the extra scenes where Tolkien comes across this platoon of um, Sikh infantry, and it was great. It was really great. But it was a it was a they forget that that was a Commonwealth world, a Commonwealth um, uh, idea that all these people, all these different detachments, you know, Newfoundland Brigade, the, the Bengal Lancers were there. It was extraordinary East Africa. There were there was Chinese workers working the way through, um, that were working on the road. And the more history you know, the more that actually um, you can bring that, 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 that worldview to it. And I think that can open out and it can only bear some, a, a much more, uh, in a way, a, a much more fully rounded 360 view of it. That's how I see it, anyway. Whoops! Yeah, totally if agree. I kind of crossed, if I crossed any. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think. Well, I mean, this is a very strong application, indeed, um, and I, I have no hesitation <laughs> in welcoming you with open arms to this. Oh no! Really? 
Thank we you. would love to you to join us at the club. Uh, can we can we get you a drink from the bar? What's what would be your tipple? Uh, <laughs> right now, it's it's very early in the morning, but I I could go for an early little uh, swift G and T. A cheeky one in the morning, yes. I think. We'll, we'll put you down for one of those. A Hendrix. Yeah, the sun's always over the yard on somewhere. <laughs> there it is. It's just a matter of waiting. I could just have it there and wait. Yeah. Uh, just, le- and just let let it tent me all day till five o'clock or whatever, or six o'clock. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so yeah. much, Grant Montgomery, for joining us on the History Monogram, sharing with us some incredible it's knowledge been a, of thank you. history, film, painting, horses, um, and the intricacies of production design. Uh, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to the History Film Club, presented by Alex Montunziman and Hannah Gregg. The guest today was Grant Montgomery, that was produced by Nat Tapley for Gloomy Productions. 